0: You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of our RSA C365 podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Casey Zirkus, content strategist with RSA Conference. And today I am joined by Violet Sullivan and Jessica Smith, who will be discussing what's beyond MFA. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so that you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask Violet and Jessica to take a moment to introduce themselves before we dive into today's topic. Violet, let's start with you. Thank you, Casey. My name is Violet Sullivan.
2: I am a cybersecurity and privacy attorney. Um, but one that does not work on the legal side and has actually tried to push more and more towards the cybersecurity technical side. So I currently work and lead a forensics team working on incident response, um, a lot of preventative work too, uh, like risk assessments, pen testing with a team, um, and connecting them with the insurance partners, the legal partners, all of those pieces. Um, but I also teach this, which is more what I like to do in these podcasts is be that more neutral party coming at this from an Academic perspective. I teach cybersecurity and privacy law for the LLM program at Baylor Law School. Sorry for long winded. Jessica, your turn.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Violet, and thank you, Casey, for having us today to chat about MFA. Um, so I got into the privacy space uh, in 2013, and I joined All Clear ID through a Craigslist ad, which is c- kind of funny looking back on it now. Um, but, you know, back then it felt really like the wild, wild west of breach response and security and privacy just, you know, it was kind of a new concept for a lot of different companies. And that's where I met Violet, and Violet and I got to work together for a few years at All Clear, which was great. Um, so I worked at All Clear until 2019. The business grew and we were acquired, the breach response business was acquired by Experian. So I went over to Experian, worked there for about three years, helping companies prepare for and respond to data breaches. Um, I managed a team that worked on data breach response implementation, planning, um, and then another team that also worked on call center setup and that public face of the response. um, That's what we worked on managing for our clients. And then in May of this year, I decided to go back to AllClear ID, which is now AllClear ID Health. And we are focused on healthcare identity um, and using your identity in the healthcare space. So um, it's been an interesting evolution career-wise for me, but also in the space. And in 2020, just because I was learning so much and I really fell in love with it, I earned um, my master's in cybersecurity. So that's where I am tonight. Wow,
1: what an evolution. I love that. Yeah, that's so fun. And I just wanna welcome you both. I appreciate you both being here so much. And I'm excited this month, we're diving into a variety of topics on all things identity. Um, So I'm excited to have you both here. And I wanna start with asking each of you to maybe share your thoughts on some of the recent challenges we've seen with MFA and MFA fatigue. Jessica, why don't you start?
0: Sure. So I think users and consumers will notice that, you know, over the past few years, they have been asked to do some extra things when they're logging into their bank accounts or logging into their email um, accounts or even social media um, where they're asked to, you know, confirm their identity, not just through their username and password, but through a text or through a biometric. Um, so multi-factor authentication is using Um, another means of authentication to gain access to a system. It's being used so much and, you know, enterprises probably adopted it first, right? And then it started being pushed out to consumers and it's being used so much that you really hear a lot of people complaining about it. Um, You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to log in to have to do something really quickly for work and then I have to authenticate and it just takes extra time if you don't have your phone with you or another means. Um, So we've been hearing a lot and I'm interested to learn, Know, what violets heard from her clients but there does seem to be a lot of quote-unquote fatigue um, that users are and consumers and employees are seeing um, where they're just Ugh, gotta follow this next step gotta absent-mindedly click approve and through that process i think what we're seeing is hackers are starting to take advantage of that fatigue completely
2: agree. Um, in fact, one of the things I loved about Jessica's evolution in explaining her background was that I think we probably learned about multi-factor at the same time period because the CEO of the company we worked for so many years ago when we all first started in cyber, that was a passion. And it's so cool to see it evolve. And I love also translating it. So I also want to say, you know, we were introduced by it. The example that was always used before MFA was so prevalent was the example of checking in a hotel room. And I feel like that's always a good translator piece to start with when it comes to explaining multi-factor and also the fatigue associated is is when you check in a hotel room, you always present your ID, you always present your credit card. That's what Bo Holland, our CEO, always used to say. And that was that passion that led him towards, you know, now healthcare, ID, privacy, um, and privacy. But the threats that we're seeing to confirm where Jessica was going is the exploitation of certain employees specifically to get their access and get past MFA so that they can get them to go ahead and be annoyed enough to bypass. So one of the biggest techniques I've seen is either exploiting overworked professions, um, surgeons, uh, lawyers, CPAs, or odd hours. Like I've seen a chat log of threat actors leaked that talked about trying to call the hell out of that number at one o'clock until they just push the MFA button and let you in. And so there's a lot of different techniques, but I feel like it goes back to the human element of we, in the same way that all of our cybersecurity training is trying to get us to be more skeptical and understand how important the authentication pieces, um, the hackers are doing in the reverse, trying to say, how can we play on the human error issue and get them to get past the multifactor? And I think, um, one more thing I'm going to add about the threats there. There's a ton of case studies to go into and we can talk about, I think Twitter's the most famous recently with their hack and the exploitation of multi-factor authentication from their employees um, that led to the account takeovers of Trump and other uh, big figures with the blue check marks by their name. Um, but, The thing that I always like to reference, I usually, in a video, I'll usually throw on, there's a huge thick book, like a thousand pages, that's called Hacking Multi-Factor Authentication that you can buy on Amazon for like $29.99. And I think that itself shows that this is something that we thought was a... Like a cure. And even especially the insurance companies, they thought, oh, man, there's so many claims that can be reduced if we just make everyone use MFA on especially domain accounts, but also um, all accounts. And so they started making it mandatory. And when something comes mandatory from your insurance, it's not as easy to explain why
1: and get people to actually think about it, because once it's mandatory, they think it's automatic. It's so interesting, too, because I feel like I was having a conversation with my husband this morning just about energy, right? And we were all using oil, and then there were all these incentives to switch to gas, and now there are all these incentives to switch to electrical. And it just, you know, it made me think that at one time there was the password and user credentials were considered sufficient security measures, right? And now we're evolving in these strategies. Then the buzz became about the need for multi-factor authentication, yet we're finding that MFA doesn't always protect a company from a data breach. So can you talk about this sort of evolution of authentication methods and where you see things trending toward? Jessica, let's start with you.
0: You know, many organizations that we talked about, they were using username, password, right? So we saw that, like you said, Casey, the evolution to MFA. So slowly but surely, we saw that move. So many organizations, started using multi-factor authentication and now we're starting to see some more um, streamlining of MFA, which is supposed to help, right? So um, single sign-on is an example where you enter in your credentials um, one time and then you're able to log in and access all of the applications on a network. Um, So, we're starting to see that move. Um, that's definitely helping address some of the fatigue. Although, you know, work is just one area um, where where MFA is widely used. I mean, you know, you log into your bank account and you're likely um, asked to verify, you know, you are who you say you are. So, I think we're going to start to see organizations move to a more of a a passwordless authentication. I think it will eventually evolve there, but you know. And I'm sure Violet tells her clients this all the time. I mean, there's just no one silver bullet to stop all of the the hacks. I mean, the the hackers will always evolve with the technology. So it's just about having the extra layers of security um, present in the network. Not only you know at fintech companies, but also you know employers need to think about how they would roll this out in the most user friendly way possible.
2: And I think the only thing I would add to that is the complexity of the evolution has still been almost even still trailing behind um, the creativity of the threat actors. And I think what we don't realize is, you know, even the cybersecurity increase in awareness and budget that we've had, like even the last five years has just grown so much that this is realized to be an important part of the budget. But you still have hackers that their true focus is every day getting in. Uh, and there's lots of um, groups out there. Um, you know, things have changed and been volatile since the Ukrainian-Russia war. But the example I always use to why even single sign-on or like like Jessica mentioned, um, the passwordless focus moving forward is still going to have to be diligent on the other side of cyber, kind of like holistic cybersecurity. The example I use is blockchain and crypto hacks because when you realize that to hack into some type of blockchain technology, you need like eight different entry points and authentication at each point, and there's still been hacks in that area. Uh, and you start researching those, you realize that the extent people will go to gain authentication, and it almost makes you think like a, The Ocean's Eleven kind of mentality of this world is is they're gonna they're going to have and think about all of the different entry points until they can get in, especially especially if the data inside is is valuable to them.
1: Yeah, and that, that determination is really, you know, m- monetary or political or whatever it is that motivates them. They're, they're highly motivated, right? Um, and so to your point, I've, I've definitely heard it said by many that identity forms the foundation of zero trust security. Yet identity, oddly, remains this sort of siloed effort that is sometimes still disjointed from the security organization so how can companies better address access control in a more holistic way oh man
2: this is i feel like this question is perfect for jessica so i'll start in first and tee it up for um because when I think access control, again, I like to play the translator a lot because I came into cybersecurity from um, not through a Craigslist ad like Jessica, but through um, the legal side, trying to figure out like what in the world is this tech world about? And I love the translation for access control to say you only need access to do what you need to do your job right at the very base level it's about giving and making sure that you understand who has access so that's why we only have a limited number of domain controllers that that's why we have a limited admin because we don't want everyone to be able to make changes that impact the whole organization no matter what industry you're in so Uh, In the same way, segregation is important, you know, and so beyond the zero trust, I think that you bringing up access controls is very logical and and helpful in this conversation, because I do think we're disjointed in terms of identity and security issues. And I think that there's like this missing piece of awareness as to the gravity of what it means to have access. Access at the base level, any human access into technology, people don't realize, and myself included, I don't think you realize the gravity of it. And I'll give an example is sometimes in finance and uh, institutions and just locking into banks, there are certain times when I have given my husband, you know, here's the password for this. But if someone is socially aware enough, and I hope this isn't coming through the podcast because now I'm going to be on alert and aware, but if someone is really, really good at social engineering and gains enough trust, um, that's what they're trying to exploit is that even the most securely aware people can still be tricked.
0: Yeah, Violet. I, I I really like your oceans eleven um, <laughs> analogy. <laughs> I'm gonna have to steal that. Um, but it is. It's true. It's it's like if someone is determined enough um, to figure out how to exploit authentication methods, um, they can do it. And you know, and if it's you know eight steps into the network, um, they'll continue to try. So, and Casey, to your point, you know, is it disjointed? I think there's definitely work that organizations can do to focus on better access control, but also authenticating identity in a way that you know they can track it throughout the network, so you know I'm working and you know I'm using some of the applications that I typically use um, but what if I try to do something else in my network? Um, who gets does someone get notified about that? Can that be tracked within the network? and there are a lot of companies that are starting to move and build more intelligent authentication methods um and it, and it is a form of access control in in terms of watching what users in your network are doing and and looking at what they're typically accessing. So, I do think, um, you know, they can continue to work to unsilo the identity efforts and um, focus on a way to work together and use new technologies. So, this, you know, identity-based authentication, we've moved beyond that. Um, and an MFA, while it's not the silver bullet, it's still pretty good, um, but they can continue to use that and and make their systems more secure. I'm actually
2: curious, um, because Jessica, you're more on the identity section. Has there been proven just a basic MFA that is preferred? So I've seen the ones that actually push out the number to the phone or the apps like Duo or Okta, um is there something in the security community that said this is a better form of basic mfa if you can't have that that next level
0: yeah i mean i think biometrics are probably always better of course you can always use those like actual physical security keys um but using a biometric that is inherent to the device that you're using so piggybacking on you know like the um android or apple biometrics in the device i think is helpful um, and probably more secure than just like a password, you know, a a six digit passcode when you're logging in.
2: You know, I, I have
0: heard that too, but
2: I actually didn't hear the word authentication around the biometric. So I'm clicking, it's it's connecting the dots for me. But I also would just say, um, as the lawyer, is to asterisk consent needed on the biometric data, because that's another area of risk that's coming out with the BIPA lawsuits um, and a lot of the Google Pixel, you know, all these issues um, over using that data and then reselling it to data brokers. So yes, good authentication method, bad data broker, data without consent passing. And
1: therein lies the problem with security, right? Because there are so many ripples to potential solves for this opens up risk in that area that you would never even think of, right? It's like, oh, okay, now we need to worry about the legal ramifications of implementing such a strategy. Violet, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we wrap up, I would love it if each of you could maybe share some parting words of wisdom with our listeners. Violet, let's start with you.
2: Well, as I was alluding to earlier, even if you have the next level of what would be the best form of authenticating a user for multifactor authentication or single sign-on or passwordless entry you're still going to have to go beyond the MFA. Uh, you have to go to understanding the visibility of where your devices are, the location, um, the security on those devices, if encryption is enabled in um, transit or at rest, the device health, making sure everything is patched. So it's it's really way more about the overall um, holistic structure of cybersecurity that you have. It's not just a check the box. Uh, it's not just a uh, it's not where firewalls were you know 10 years ago where, where you thought okay firewalls are okay uh, that's our fortress that's our security mfa is not your fortress and security it is a very good practice it's something that we would tell users uh like just in your every day to have on any account that is a sensitive in any way shape or form that could buy things sell things um or, or transfer money back and forth or pretend to be you and and have an impact on your reputation so users should definitely have this but companies need to go way beyond this
0: yeah, Violet, I would agree if if you are leading a, a security in an organization and you haven't moved to some sort of stronger authentication like MFA, like single sign-on, you need to get on it. <laughs> um that is, you know, your your organization is potentially at risk. Um so, and if you're a consumer, like Violet mentioned, you should put MFA on all of your accounts that uh, are important to you, you know, even accounts where you may not be buying or selling, like your LinkedIn account, anything that's linked to your identity that you value, um, make sure that you have authentication or, or MFA on that account Um, and then lastly just one last parting word of wisdom for um, folks who lead security uh, in an organization don't forget your end users right you're only as strong as your your users and so continue to educate the employees to keep them informed of potential misuse of credentials or mfa you know the better educated that they are the more they can be on alert and I had I one that. more thing
2: because I that made me think about the big thing we talk about. What qualifies as an incident? And we always say confidentiality, integrity, availability right we were scared of confidentiality first with data breaches then we were scared about availability uh with the ransomware attacks uh hitting our operations and colonial pipeline and jbs but this is about integrity which is so interesting because when you lose integrity you don't know what was done with intent you don't know if it was negligence if it was a bad guy if it was an insider threat you lose the ability to be able to figure out what happened or what was changed. And it's not just about numbers changing on a balance sheet. It's about truly, like Jessica said, having someone pretend to be you and taking your identity away. And that integrity issue within the definition of an incident is what the multi-factor authentication issue is about.
1: I love that. I so appreciate that addition um, and really making those distinctions. Because integrity matters, for sure. It was so lovely having both of you here with me today. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. To find products and solutions related to identity, access control, authentication, we invite you to visit rsaconference.com forward slash marketplace. Here you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist with your specific needs. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels. I know Violet is very active on LinkedIn, so you can follow her there. You can use the hashtag RSAC and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year-round.